I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. you doing podcasts adam buxton here i'm the host of this podcast thanks very much for downloading it nice to be with you again it's a cold day out here in norfolk in early may 2019 and it's been raining all week good for the fields bad for buckles rosie doesn't mind she just boings around whatever the weather And now that the crops are starting to grow, she is bouncing in the long grass and in the fields full of, well, I don't know what's in the fields. Is it wheat? Maybe. I've lived in the countryside now for over a decade and still couldn't tell you the names of most of the trees, animals and plants in this area. I don't say that proudly. It's just a fact. Listen, I'm going to crap on more at the end of this podcast, but right now let me tell you about my guest this week for podcast number 92, the British comedian James Acaster. James is currently aged 34. However, he was 33 when our conversation was recorded in London last November 2018. James grew up in Kettering, Northamptonshire, That's not too far from us out here in Norwich. James studied music at Northampton College and played as a drummer in various local bands, including Pin Drop, Three Line Whip, The Wow Scenario and Capri Sun Quartet. He talks about those days on uh, Richard Herring's podcast that he was on recently. He's been on a couple of times. James started performing comedy towards the end of the 2000s. And by 2012, he'd been nominated for Best Newcomer at the Edinburgh Fringe with his one-man show, Prompt. This is just selected highlights, you understand. Uh, James was a regular contributor to comedian Josh Widdicombe's XFM radio show, which ran between 2013 and 2015. And a collection of some of the stories that he told on that show were compiled in his 2017 book Classic Scrapes. James also had a show on FUBAR, the internet radio station in 2015, in which he invited guests to put their iPods on shuffle and talk about what popped up. And you can still hear those uh, shows in podcast form, albeit with the music removed, but they're still good to listen to nonetheless. And even more Acaster can be found in podcast form on his hugely popular series Off Menu, in which guests talk about their favourite food and dining in general with James and comedian Ed Gamble, who also hosts the show. In 2018, Netflix released Repertoire, consisting of four one-hour shows that James filmed in September 2017, showcasing the best of his live material up to that point. In the meantime, James has appeared regularly on UK comedy panel shows and more recently his appearance on the Jonathan Ross chat show 
has been an indication that he is becoming too successful. I talked to James about his school days and his religious background and his teenage existential crisis. Uh, we talked about car stereos, James's quest to find the best music of 2016, which he has written about in a book, and the joy of sulking, as well as much other enjoyable business. In fact, there was so much great conversation with James that I've put another half an hour's worth in a bonus episode which you can hear on the Adam Buxton app. It's a free app which enables you to listen to all the previous episodes of this podcast as well as uh, a few jingles and some of my stupid adverts. There's links to some of my amazing videos on YouTube and there is a slowly expanding library of bonus podcast content on there too, like whole bonus episodes, some of which you have to pay a small fee to access. All the money goes to the fellows that run the app and my blog. And this James Acaster bonus will be available for a fee of 99 pence. And on it, I talked to James about his iPod Shuffle show and uh, we had a go at doing it ourselves. We also talked about art and provocation, the KLF burning a million quid, Tracy Emin, Yoko Ono, and Maria Abramovich. And James helped me workshop some new jokes. So you can listen to all that via the Adam Buxton app in the bonus audio section. But anyway, back to this episode. It was the first time that I'd met James and we were exchanging pleasantries and light introductory chit-chat as we sat down to record and I was getting the mics ready and all that. But it was one of those podcast moments when I didn't do the formal, OK, we're starting now. And as you will hear, James was a little thrown. Uh, which reminds me, I need to get Prince Archie a present. OK, here we go. started um this might be amazing stuff (laughs) because i'm capturing you in a sort of semi yeah i don't know naturalistic state yeah Yeah, yeah. this is one of those kind of soft opens that they do on american (laughs) podcasts (laughs) if we started yet Mm. you're freaking me out there needs to be a firm (laughs) delineation between entertainment and real life (laughs) and this is blurred it is weird how you switch into a different voice. Yeah. That's why I was confused, because I'd say you were halfway. Right, okay. So I was like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah now, you see, you, yeah. now you've shifted up a gear. So now yeah. you're in A-caster mode. Yeah, I can feel I've done it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we're the same two people in the room. Yeah. There's but just then, a little more energy. Yeah. But less than there would be if there was an audience there. Yep. But then your thing when you're on stage is to kind of maintain a fairly low-energy appearance superficially. 
Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Although, like, if I do too much of that, then the gig really grinds to a halt. And I have to, like, really remind myself of that. I saw you on Conan, uh-huh. the talk show in America. Yes. And you had five minutes there. Mm. And you blazed through your stuff. Mm. Sort of double time, I would say. Is there a pressure to do that? I mean, I'm not. that's not a criticism. Yeah, no, no, no. That was a very hard gig. And I wasn't getting many laughs and if you watch the thing you can't tell as much and then if you watch someone else on conan then you really notice the difference of like how big the laughs are for other people and how long and i just did not have a very good show and so i was kind of going through it a bit quicker because of that but then it was still too slow for them really yeah they were still a whole thing kind of i just didn't click with that audience at all they did not like it but then i just really stuck to my guns and so like yeah, if you watch that clip, it's a guy <laughs> really sticking to his guns in the face of it all. And then, like, within half an hour after that, I'd shit myself in a steakhouse. It was a bad day. I literally went from that record to a steakhouse with my agent at the time, so he wanted to go there and <laughs> shit my pants. Why? Because I had food poisoning. Whoa. And then I was in bed for a week. Really? Yeah. It was bad. And then, uh, and then eventually when I kind of was like, you've got to get out this flat because you can't, you, you're in LA, you can't just be in your flat all day. You got you, you were supposed to have meetings and gigs, you've cancelled them all. And then like took one step out and then uh, some teenagers walked past and went, Ron Weasley! And I was like, oh, great. They shouted Ron Weasley yeah. at Yeah. And I was like, oh, good. Okay. That's... <laughs> Of course, that's what happens. <laughs> you don't look anything like Ron Weasley. I get it so much. Do you? Yeah. It's just, if members of the public were really funny and astute, we wouldn't have a job. <laughs> so, like, yeah, they, they've got to they, they, say stuff like that that doesn't work quite. <laughs> I don't think it's good enough. <laughs> they just see a guy with ginger hair and they go, uh, Yeah. Ginger hair, goes through the Rolodex, mental Rolodex. Yeah. All I'm getting is Ron Weasley. Okay, I'm going to shout that. Yeah, I used to get Harry Potter shouted at me because they couldn't remember Ron Weasley's name. <laughs> so they were just... But now the films are quite big. Everyone knows Ron Weasley. It's fine. But, like, yeah. you know, when I started out, I, I, I get Harry Potter shouted at me before I got to the mic some nights. Wow. It was quite common. But uh, never Rupert Grint. Never Rupert Grint. Poor guy. Yeah. Gutted. What's he doing? He, um, he, he was the one out of the three of them who it's- really spent his money. Early doors. Did he? Yeah, he was very extravagant, got loads and loads of cars, loads of like ridiculously coloured cars. I saw an interview. Magic cars? Uh, yeah, he had like a bright orange car that he bought and apparently he sold it and Daniel Radcliffe asked him why you're selling it and he went, I don't like the colour. <laughs> <laughs> the Weasley Mobile. Must be the reason he bought it. He- I used to have a car, an orange car, a, a Ford Fiesta was my first car. Me and Joe were doing our TV show at the time on Channel 4, and we did a song called Roscoe, which was sort of a weird country and western type yeah. thing. And we made a video for it that was vaguely country and western themed, but it incorporated elements of the Dukes of Hazard. Right, great. So we sprayed the car up orange. Like yeah. we took it to a guy and he yeah. and we said, make it look like the uh, General <laughs> Lee from the yeah. Dukes of Hazard. 
And so he sprayed it all up and put all the decals on. And so you've got the Confederate flag on the top as per the real General Lee. So when was this? This was late 90s, (laughs) when I should have known better. Sure, sure. But didn't. Yeah. And then a friend of mine came over and looked at it and she said, and she's German, what the fuck have you done to that car? (laughs) And I said, well, it's like the General Lee, you know, Dukes of Hazards for a video. Yes, but the flag, the fucking flag, that's a racist flag on the car. And I was like, oh, come on. It's the Dukes of Hazard. Saturday afternoon TV. They were good old boys. Never meaning no harm. She said, you've got to take that fucking flag off the top of that car. That's fucking offensive. I love the voice. It's very. I mean, it's like, obviously, Henning Venn is German as well, but it's very. You've got it's got a twang of Henning Venn in there. Yes, yes. I I'll like tell it. you, uh, her name is Nora. Hi, Nora, if you're listening. She's married to the lead singer of Travis. This is Fran Healy, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I did. I met him once. Did a radio show, Will Gompert's radio show with oh, Travis, yeah. arts correspondent, and um, he had an abscess or something on his gums. It was really hurting him, hurt to sing and everything. Mm. And so his son was there with a uh, thing of water with a straw in it, and he would stand there and he'd just occasionally just put it in front of his dad, and he'd have a sip of water and go away again. It was quite sweet. Oh, that <laughs> is sweet. For the, uh, but sometimes he would mistime it, and he wouldn't be ready for the water. <laughs> so he'd be talking and in the interview, and then the, you'd just see the straw just kind of wiggle around. <laughs> if whatever made me like, it is slowly push it away. More, <laughs> like a kind of harmonica um, brace. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like that. Wavering around. Will Gompertz. I like Will Gompertz. Uh, Will Gompertz, one of the people I can make fun of to his face on his show, so I, I, I like going on there. I like Will Gompertz because he's got a very strong look. Yeah. Krusty the Clown. Yeah, kind of like a maybe a, a vampire clown look. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I was on there to promote a book, and Will... There was a tagline on the front cover that said, to air is human, to air enough to fill a book isn't. So that was the... Right, because this was your book of classic scrapes. Yeah, so it it was a book about me making loads of mistakes and stuff. Yeah. So that was the tagline. And Will read it on the radio and went, James Eckers' classic scrapes, to air is human, to air enough to fill a book. So, James, can you (laughs) have a No, no, you've missed out the final word of that and it makes me look like an idiot. Like... You read the full thing, please, Will. And if you can't be able to read the tagline, I've got little hope for you reading the whole book, if I'm honest. You just left it at that. No, 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 Montague School in Kettering, which is now an academy. Now it's an amazing place. What's the difference between a school and an academy? I think an academy has to specialise in something and usually has much better facilities. So in Kettering now, there's a few academies. There's a science academy, there's a sports academy, which is my old school. Did you pay them a royal visit in your celebrity capacity? I was filming an online thing called Sweet Home Ketteringa, a little series where we went back to Kettering and visited all my old haunts and so when was my school and how long was it since you had been at the school oh uh that was I left school when I was 17 so it would have been about 13 years I think right long enough for a pretty intense hit of oh uh, yeah and there's only like three of my old teachers there as well so like chatting to them and like I didn't really like school I was a good student but I didn't like 
I didn't like the other kids, and I can say that. You know, some of them might be listed, but uh, <laughs> it's not that like I hated them. But like, I, th- I don't think I'm quite sensitive, so I didn't deal well with the fact that you make a little mistake and everyone's on you when you're a teenager or when you're at school. It's always like, what are you, what are you, what are you eating your lunch in that order for? <laughs> it's anything. It's no matter what you do. I just, I just couldn't. So I got one one friend who I'm still in contact with from school. But yeah, I, I kind of just so I, I think going back is like nice, but it's not like. I've got so many great memories that I, I wanted to you know, reconnect to anything. Were you a bit of a loner? Not really. No, I was quite, I was definitely quite well liked by, I had, you know, a group of friends who, you know, I'd hang out with all the time. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the story of most comics, I guess, but I'd just sit with the other funny kids and just like make jokes the whole lesson and, but do but, it enough that we didn't get told off. Right. You weren't a disruptive influence. No, I was, you know, a lot of time teaching, I remember one of my teachers, Sending me outside the room and then coming out to tell me off and just laughing. <laughs> just laughed in the corridor. Oh, James. Yeah. So I give you five stars, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Excellent stuff. <laughs> and then we went back in. But it was like, it was quite bad actually, because like, it, it's because I'd, I'd kind of framed another kid originally. Whatever it was, I'd shouted something out and she'd sent out another kid and I genuinely bollocked him for it. Oh, okay. And then he said, it, James Acaster said that wasn't me. She came in and she was like, Was it you? And I was like, Yeah. She went, like, come outside, and she just laughed for ages. <laughs> I was like, okay. I think what she found funny was just the fact that I admitted to it immediately. Yeah. That I'd let him take the bollock in. But then when she'd come back in, was that you? Yeah, it was me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I shouted it. So it's like, oh, you didn't want to get away with it that badly. But, yeah. uh, but you weren't getting in trouble enough for, like, your parents to be worried about you or anything? No. Were your parents ever worried about you? I don't know. Probably more so after school. When I crashed my first car... And I wasn't all right for six months after that. My parents were worried about me. In what way were you um, not all right? I, I couldn't stop thinking about death. I was raised Christian, mm. and I'm not anymore. But at that point... So a church-going Christian. Yeah, yeah, but like a non-denomination kind of like hippie kind of church. Okay. Which I liked. I really loved it. I loved the music and... Uh, Singing? Were you into all that? I, I couldn't really sing, but I really liked watching the band play because there was like a rock band. Mm. So I started like... We got a drum kit from the church and I started learning the drums. I just played drums for ages, basically until I did stand-up when I was 23. I was just always playing drums. It's all I wanted to do. I was practicing all day. So I loved that. There was little sketches in the church. They do like a comedy sketch in the church. I loved watching those. And I got to be in one at one point. I really enjoyed that. Groovy Christians. Yeah, it was that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And there was a, a thing in the little kids, I don't know, Sunday school or whatever, when you go out into the group. And we had to write like a profile of ourselves almost to go on the wall. And uh, one of the things was a hero. You had to say who your hero was. And all the other kids wrote Jesus, <laughs> which I did not know was meant to be the right answer. And I'd written Robin Williams. <laughs> and it was all on the wall. Everyone else had Jesus as their hero. And I had Robin Williams. <laughs> That's mine. <laughs> But, yeah. So what was the nature of the accident there? It was so pretty then, bad. Well, it was. I've written off three cars, and the, the, the last two were much more severe crashes. But that first one just scared me because it was me on my own. It was going round a corner too fast and, like, you know, bashing up into a hedge and stuff. And at one point I was balancing on like, the right two wheels of the car and, like, could have rolled and didn't roll. Yeah. So that was it. And at the time I thought, you know... I was glad, glad that my parents weren't that angry with me. And then I went to... I was doing a B-Tech in music practice at the local college. And so I went there the next day, 
told all my mates what happened like it was funny and then I remember it snowed that day I remember walking to my friend Graham's car afterwards and slipping over on the ice and landing on my back and loads of people laughing at me and me thinking it was funny as well yeah. and then getting in the car with Graham and his battery was dead because he left his lights on so we had to wait for the AA and we're laughing at what a what an awful day we've had and isn't that funny and got home late because of that and all my family had gone out to like they were all doing something in the evening dinner had been left for me in the oven ate it on my own and then I remember washing it up in the sink and there was like the window and it was just dark outside so it's just my reflection like a black mirror thing and looking at myself and then suddenly going oh I could have I could be dead I could have died yesterday and then for six months just, I couldn't stop thinking about what happens when you die and that we will never understand life or how infinite the universe is and all that stuff and that's all I was thinking about all the time and like during that time I think my parents didn't really know what to say sometimes that and uh they were trying to kind of hide that they were concerned about me because i was acting withdrawn and weird and quiet were you asking them though for counsel yeah i was and if they didn't know what to say they would set me up with other people who they did know so i'm going to a vicar once and chatting to a vicar and him just being like well you know sometimes people kind of just go away from christianity and sometimes they come back it's funny really and i was like looking at him like what and like thinking, like you should have more to say. He should... was seeing it as a crisis of faith. Yeah, because he was like, oh, it's just that. and I was like, well, how do we ever know stuff? It's like, well, you never know, really. And he's like, it's funny, really. My son kind of like just, you know, he doesn't believe in anything anymore. And my daughter went away from it for a bit and then came back to it, and now she goes to church again. I was like, that yeah, just but what about like... death? Yeah, what about real? Like, I want to talk about real stuff. Like, because yeah. it sounded like, you know, to me, I was like, it's treating this like it's just a thing like a subscription you can sign it's not a, a real thing and you should you're a vicar you should be telling me this is all real and this is how you know it's real and all this i remember at the end of it so i was there for quite a few hours just kind of talking at this guy and then eventually he was like um i've got, I've got to say good night now because um i need to spend some time with my wife i always need to spend time with my wife each day otherwise uh, i don't see her and that was the only thing that kind of made sense to me in the whole talk I had of him. I remember going, oh, yeah, that is important. And, like, walking away being like, oh, yeah, yeah, he, you know, he's thinking about her and he wants to spend some time with her and he knows that that's important, uh, that he doesn't neglect his relationship just because of his job. Yeah. And that kind of hit home a little bit more than anything else he'd said about religion and faith and stuff. So I'm starting to think about more about other people and just be like, like it's not, yeah, you kind of, all this death stuff, you're obsessed with yourself and just like, I'm going to die and all this and I won't understand this and rather than looking at looking around you and other people are maybe more important maybe you know put other people first or whatever and then just realizing that I was kind of being a bit spoiled getting angry that I was going to die cuz like it's amazing I'm even here in the first place so he weirdly got me out of it but he wasn't trying to How old were you? 18 Wow man I think I was just wanking all the time Oh I was still wanking <laughs> Oh please don't get me wrong I was wanking, but I was thinking about death while I was doing it. Yeah. The greatest wank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh, one day I'm going to die. But like, that, was, that was it. But like, yeah. That's uh, intense that you were going through all that. Yeah, it was. And it still took me a while to kind of completely be like, you know, I'm not a Christian anymore. And how were your folks about that? Fine. They're, they're really supportive and uh, loving parents. And just like, you know, they kind of took us to church because you know we were their kids and didn't want to leave us alone but like it was never you have to believe this or this is the truth 
it was always presented as it was faith and it was a you know they believed it but some people don't and all that kind of stuff so right okay so they weren't like fundamentalist in any way no not in any way i mean my dad you know is a science teacher and like really early on was telling us about evolution which i remember as kids we were telling him that was the only thing he told us that we went bollocks <laughs> everything else he told us about resurrection and stuff like that and like, yep cool and he was like so we used to be apes no we didn't dad we were not born yesterday mate and uh i was the one for you remember yeah kind of calling him out on as a, as a child yeah no didn't happen but yeah so it was that but uh yeah they weren't fundamentalists some of their friends were and it would be interesting chatting to them mm. I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, you know, let's not forget that religion is still an important thing for mm. the majority of people mm-hmm. alive in the world. But I wouldn't be surprised if some form of religion made a comeback in yeah, the yeah. next few decades. You know what I mean? Just, I get the sense that people are just flailing around so much these days. Sure. Sp- yeah, yeah. Spiritually. <laughs> well, there's got to be another word other than spiritually that indicates that you're talking about those kinds of things. Yeah, there's got to be a new one that know. people could, could come up with. But yeah. like... Ghostily. Ghostily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty love, go- love ghostily. I'm kind of ghosty. <laughs> I'm a bit of ghosty. It would be good. I mean, yeah, I, I just loved like the conversations, I think. Yeah. And it was like that was... The sharing of ideas was more... What I was, I liked that, and the not the non-judgmental part of that. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's when it gets less fun. Is when you start being made to feel bad about yourself. Yes, or... which I think is something that, like, even though my parents are not like this at all, they're not judgmental people, and they're not like they don't focus on you know your you know people's sins or whatever. But like, I went to different churches. I went to a C of E school. I went to Scouts, which is a Christian thing, and so like naturally i think that all kind of like seeps in anyway Mm -hmm. is that you're just around the like you know it's loads of stuff about you know born sinners forgiveness this is good this is bad and stuff Mm -hmm. and that's definitely been something that in the last couple of years i've noticed the effects of a bit more and been like oh yeah that's actually had a bit of an effect on me Mm -hmm. because i really beat myself up if i think i've done something wrong and i'm really like really hard on myself oh really and yeah and and i think a huge part of that is just like those because there was certain types of people, you know, I'd say some of my teachers, some of my scout leaders, some of the people at the church who were very much like, you know, if you did do anything that was a little bit wrong, you were in the biggest amount of trouble. You, 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 you should be ashamed of yourself. It's awful. How are you framing it when you give yourself a hard time? Like, what's now, the thing that makes you feel bad? Because you're not presumably worrying that you're going to go to hell. I know. I don't feel worried about hell. I don't know what it is, really. I, th- I think it's just knowing that just that was wrong or that was, yeah, because it was maybe a thing where I was never scared of heaven or hell or anything. That was never pushed on me that much anyway. But I think it was just maybe just the getting in trouble in in any way. I remember the first time I, like, in, in school, I kind of called someone a bastard or something <laughs> when I was, like, seven. I forget I called a girl a bastard as well. I bet she was a bastard. She was a real bastard, actually. She was a total bastard. But she went and told on me. Yeah. And I remember hiding around the corner because I could see her telling the teacher in the playground. But hiding around the corner, but not hiding properly. So, like, I knew they would come and get me because it was like if I went and hid, 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 that was me being bad again, you know, because I'm now trying to evade whatever. So, like, and we're getting told off about it. And then he said, I'm not going to tell your parents, but you should never speak. Imagine if your parents heard you speak like that. And I was crying. 
And then after school, the girl telling her mum that I'd done it, but in front of my mum. So me crying again. <laughs> and I said how sorry I was. But my mum not being like, you know, she wasn't hard on me at all. I just thought, it's okay, we're just going to go home. Uh, I remember saying to her, please don't tell anyone that I said it. Please don't tell anyone. And all this. And then um, getting home and going upstairs. And then she was just having tea with her friend. And then walking down. And she was halfway through telling her friend the story. And what she w- would have been telling her friend was like... Your mum, this is. Yeah, but my mum would have been telling her friend, you know, looking back, she would have been saying, oh, this, you know, it was, his, he was so upset. I can't believe how upset he was. And probably, you know, quite concerned that it, it was that big a deal to me. Right. But instead, I just came down to hear her telling her friend that and I didn't want anyone to know. And again, I cried again, like, oh, no, you promised you wouldn't tell anyone. And it was like this whole, you know, that now everyone thinks that I'm this awful person just because I said a swear. So, like, you know, but that was never put on me by my parents. It wasn't like a huge thing of, you shouldn't do this stuff. But I think it was everywhere else. And so it was a, yeah, I just didn't want to... I think I wanted this perfect track record of never do anything wrong. And maybe still feel like that sometimes. Do you come across, like, people being harshly judgmental when you're, you know, in comedy circles and when you're trying to do your thing? Yeah, but I'm okay with that. So I just think it's funny now. I think I was more insecure about that. I started out and stuff well you seem to have found a groove like in the last few years you know you, you're inhabiting a, a stage persona completely now which is completely coherent yes yeah, and, so and you could see it like it seemed to be obvious when you did that quadrilogy oh yeah yes. on yeah, Netflix yeah, yeah. And, and that's I think that's once you're kind of doing what you want to do and you know that you know this is what like if you know, I, I would happily watch it myself or whatever, I think this is like, or this is what I had in my head. So yeah, that's your criterion, is it? Like it, yeah, being you know honest with myself while yeah. I'm writing it is, is is this good enough? Is this what you want to be making and getting that kind of like clearer vision of yeah, th- th- this is what I want the show to be. And then if you achieve that, don't mind what people say. And if you don't achieve it. Again, being honest with yourself and being like, no, it's not exactly what I wanted. And so then, again, the criticisms maybe don't hurt as much because you're like, yeah, yeah, I agree. Rather Mm -hmm. than lying to yourself, telling yourself it's brilliant, and then people say stuff that you deep down know is true, and then you react badly to it because you're trying to... Really, what you're trying to do is be like, I don't know, I don't want to hear this. Whereas, like, you know, at the moment, I did did one joke about, like, it's a Brexit joke about a cup of tea and like leaving the tea bag in or taking it out and I did it on Mop the Week and it's like a little clip and every now and again it does the rounds on Twitter and someone will share it and every time it gets shared I get my timeline is just full of people who voted leave arguing with me about it arguing with the routine because I don't respond to them but like you know always sticking to the the metaphor as well so I just can't find it funny rather than getting angry with them it's just quite funny that they're just like oh, yeah, but if you leave the bag in for too long, then it'll stew, and then everything tastes disgusting. And then you've still got to throw the bag in the bin anyway, and then the mug, you've got to wash the mug up. And it's like, it's like nothing makes sense. <laughs> and they always stick to the metaphor and argue with me on it. And I think a few years ago, that would maybe would have upset me, or I would have got frustrated with it. Especially when you kind of just think, if I carry on doing this job, this is the rest of my life, I'm going to come across people like this and they're going to be able to get to me probably even easier in the future whatever technology is going then so you just got to be like this is always going to happen you know i've seen another comic tweeting quite a lot he's on tour at the minute it's a lot of people complaining about the price of drinks or like you know 
how far away their seat is in the venue or things like that. And he's kind of like engaging with them in a way that's like, well, you, you know, just don't buy a drink. Or if you, you know, I, I, and you're going, oh, just leave it. Like, because this is going to go on forever. And like, you can't reason with, you know, if people are getting that annoyed, they know how much the tickets were when they bought them. You know, just, you, you just wear yourself out and it, it just doesn't matter. The thing about the contact that you have with people on social media as well is that it really encourages people to ask you stuff that actually it's not your job to deal with sure so they're asking you you know what time does the show start tonight yeah. uh, how long is it going to go on for yeah, yeah. i need to book a babysitter <laughs> yeah. you know all this kind yeah. of stuff some people respond to that which i think is like i mean i do i tr- if amazingly got, fr- helpful of them if i've got like, time i will yeah. you know what i mean but then i think people will listen to stuff in the podcast and they'll just say what what was the name of that book you mentioned in the podcast <laughs> yeah yeah you're like well you could definitely listen to the podcast again if you sure. really wanted to know also there's a good chance of, <laughs> oftentimes they'll ask me stuff that i've put links to in the description of the podcast Great. yeah yeah all that kind of thing there's stuff like there's, there's a song at the minute in my new show there's a song beforehand that i because i'm on stage djing at the moment i am I'm, that might change but i'm on stage djing as they're walking in and there's a song that I keep re- returning to and turning up full volume. And then I kind of go back to the playlist and I come back to that song. And everyone always tweets me going, what's that song? But I always reply to those ones and always tell them what the song is. Because like it's a f- fun little extra part of the joke for me that I'm responding to every single one of those with, the, with just the song name and who it's by. Especially because it is by one of my friends. It's quite a you know, unknown kind of album that I think is brilliant. So it's fun. Who's it by? It's called Surf Music. It's by Paul Williams. Not the Paul Williams who did Bugsy Malone and stuff. Different right. Paul Williams from New Zealand. It's a wonderful, like, uh, pop record. Good one. That's a great idea, DJing as they come in. Are you on yeah. stage then? Yeah, I'm on stage. I'm wearing, like, a shell suit jacket and shades and just uh, DJing. And then with, for that song, I'll stare them down. I'll go, go to the front of the stage and just stare at them while it's playing and then go back to DJing. But I think my main motivation for doing anything in life is so that I can get control of the music in the room and uh <laughs> I, I get to dj so yeah any time i've gone on tour and we're sorting out the, the car and the tour manager will get hold of it is this car all right and i'm always like can i plug my ipod into the stereo like, yep good well then yeah great car that's, that's all i care about i know my wife my wife i have to say that she's in charge of most of the important things that happen administratively within the family yes <laughs> um because i'm focused on just being a tool professionally uh-huh, uh-huh. and so she allows me the uh, space to, to do what i'm doing and meanwhile she's getting on with the important stuff so she generally buys the car when it's time to buy a car right you know yes and with when you've got a family that becomes a thing that happens more often than you would like it to yeah yeah <laughs> and the last time she bought a car it was this big old crazy family tank nightmare thing and it was all fine but the stereo was just useless right and i couldn't play my music in there i think it had a cd player that was our only option oh, so i had to burn cds i had to do that once in a tour car yeah and it was just every time we got into the car and to go somewhere as a family which didn't happen all that often usually i'm cycling around you know i'm mm. under my own steam but we'd get in the car and we'd be going for a long drive and I'd realise, oh, yeah, the stereo situation. Yeah. <laughs> and it would bum me out so yeah. badly. I'd get in a mood. She'd pick up on it and she'd feel like I was blaming her. 
because she hadn't bought the, car. bought the right car with a good <laughs> stereo. And in a way, I was. <laughs> but I'd be trying to pretend that that wasn't the case because that would be so pathetic and totally <laughs> indefensible. And it would, there was quite a few journeys that were ruined because I was such a little baby about it. But it really is a bad... You know, cause oh. it's so exciting because it's so great to listen to music in yeah. the car. Yeah, I, I, I just want always want music on wherever I am. So, yeah. like, yeah, in the car, especially if it's a long journey, especially on tour when you're driving around all the time. I think, like, someone told me, or Stuart Lee's tour manager told me that they just listen to the entire back catalogue of one band, and then they'll they'll choose another band and listen to their entire back catalogue, and they do it like that. And on my last tour. On the last couple of tours, actually, because they're quite close together, I was doing a project anyway of listening to as much music from 2016 as I could, and so we were just listening to loads of albums that, had, but they had to come from 2016, and we were doing that all the time. And it was so much fun. What was the best album of 2016? Very hard question. I would maybe put "Worry" by Jeff Rosenstock and "Telephone" by No Name as my joint. Number one. I don't know either of those. So Jeff Rosenstock's album is like a kind of epic pop punk kind of record, but like pop punk for the people who were there the first. So you know, for people like me who were teenagers when like Green Day and Blink One Eighty Two were the big pop punk bands. And, and you were into that. I was when I was a teenager, yeah. and now pop punk has grown up with its audience. So now it's all about being in your thirties, and the sound in general is a bit more mature. And Jeff Rosenstock's a very good example of that in that album that record's really incredible and then the no name album is a she's a rapper from chicago and it's a it was a mixtape it was self-produced and recorded in an airbnb a lot of it but like um it's really she's got kind of a spoken word kind of uh flow to her voice and a nice like lazy like drums and just slightly offbeat finger clicks and stuff it's a very summery kind of feel to the album but the, the lyrics are quite dark even though the music's quite bright and those are amazing. But the whole year, like it's all I, currently, it's all I think about is that year because I'm, write, I'm writing a book about it, and I'm like, I'm just obsessed with 2016. Why are you writing I'm a like, book about 2016? Well, just the music of 2016. Okay. So last year in 2017, I had a tough personal year and just didn't cope very well. And the way I dealt with it was that I listened obsessively to music from 2016 to kind of distract myself because at the start of 2017 I was looking at all the end of year lists for 2016 and I'd kind of fallen out of touch with like current music I'd written off current music quite a while ago and was like I was buying music I was really obsessed with music but it was all old stuff and then in 2016 as it was happening I remember thinking oh there's like been some really big albums that aren't just you know disposable in the background album so like you know black star came out yeah lemonade and then frank ocean's blonde as well and those were the three that made me kind of go oh those are three like really big albums that i think are going to stand the test of time that everyone has really got excited about and they've meant a lot to people and they all come out in the same year and so it, when the end of year lists came out i was like maybe i will kind of like you know check out some of these and i was really enjoying it and then in january i had this breakup which was a quite significant breakup to me and it like really kind of threw me into a bit of a funk. And because the most recent thing I've been doing that I enjoyed was listening to this music, I just continued to, you know, every night. So I was on tour for most of the year. I'd get back to the hotel and just put Google best albums of 2016 and there'd be so many lists that people had made. And I'd just read another list, listen to all the songs on it, buy the album. I'd always buy it, buy the album that I wanted. 
and download it and I'd have like the ones that I liked and I've now got just over 500 albums that came out in 2016 and I'm kind of writing about why I did it and about the album I've interviewed a lot of the bands and I've writing about the stories behind all the records and stuff and trying to kind of like link them together as well and wow that's yeah. great it's been fun I'd love to read that yeah. and so that person that you had a breakup with how long had you been together like three and a half years okay and was she the person that got you into because i heard you talking on your foobar radio show Uh uh about um someone you'd been out with who'd introduced you to like your favorite book oh yeah no that was someone else that was someone else so she was uh, that was when i was 21 that was my first kind of love i guess first being in love with someone and she introduced me to in the airplane over the sea by neutral milk hotel you Should Know a Velocity by Dave Eggers, the book, and Little Miss Sunshine, the film. I really could have had all three of those. And I'd say, yeah, they're still all like some, yeah, they're not my absolute number one favourites. But although Neutral Milk Hotel is very close to being my favourite album. But yeah, that book still means a lot to me, and that film I think is still amazing. So, like, yeah, it's like three things that really contributed to just my personality and stuff as well i think it's like really, that those three things have fed into who i am a lot so yeah she annoyingly had a big influence on me <laughs> yeah that's great though i mean generally i think most of my cultural influences have come from my school friends really mm. people that i had relationships with it was less about that in fact they were often into stuff that i wasn't into at all right right like I went out with a girl who was just a total raver yeah, and I never really clicked with yeah. music. The only kind of music that we really listened to together was uh, David Byrne's album, Ray Momo. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever heard, have you no, heard that? Oh, no. It's really good. It's when he went all I Latin. Know, I know him obviously, but like, yeah. Yeah. He had this big, it was kind of his Latin Graceland. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's such a good album, and we used to listen to that together. But then there would be other stuff. I went out with someone else, and yeah, it's weird when you realise, oh, this is something that means a lot to you. I hope I like it. But she loved Singing in the Rain. This person I'm thinking of now. Right. And she said, "Oh, you've never seen Singing in the Rain." She was quite a bit older than me. Yeah. I said, "No, looks boring." <laughs> uh, and we sat there and we watched it in her house where she lived with her mum. Mm-hmm. They were Polish. So we sat there and we watched Singing in the Rain. And it was really good. Have you seen Singing in the Rain? Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's yeah, amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And it's, and it's one of the ones where, yeah, you, you do just think, oh, that's an old film, it's boring, I don't want to watch it. And then, yeah, if, if you do watch it and then still think that, I think that's, you've got, you've got a problem. Yeah. It's, it's a joyful film. And it's amazing. It's amazing how they made it. And just all the dancing in it is incredible. And you kind of, you you can't really watch it without being like, no, if that if it, if it got made now, I would still think that was amazing. You know, if, if they did something like that. And, I, and it's why, like, I was actually quite disappointed by La La Land and didn't, didn't really like it. Because I didn't find the songs memorable and I didn't find the dancing anything. Like, this wasn't that great. I was like, okay, fine. Like, it's not, it's meant to be this homage to all these films, but... You don't seem to be really doing it properly. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just really hate something. I do. And it's mainly because of how much everyone else is saying it's amazing. Right, yeah, yeah. And you're yeah. like, if, if you weren't all saying it was amazing, I'd see it and I wouldn't like it, but it wouldn't annoy me. I'd just be like, okay, I don't like that film, whatever. That was like, everyone was saying La La Land's amazing. And so I, I watched it 
And I was so angry that everyone was saying this film was amazing. So I was like, this is not amazing. This is so lazy. It's not good. And then at the Oscars, which I really enjoy watching the Oscars. Yeah. Because I guess like, you know, I'll be all anti-awards in comedy and stuff because it affects me. But when it's like someone else, like, oh, this is just a, kind of a sport. It's fun to watch like other people. I remember watching that year and it was the year where La La Land got read out accidentally. Instead of Moonlight. Instead of Moonlight. And Moonlight was the one that I wanted to win. I'd seen that in the cinema and like you know it's one of the few films I've got left feeling like I've been punched in the chest I was like really like amazing just experience watching that film I really wanted it to win was pretty sure it wasn't gonna win and uh, when they read out La La Land I was like yeah yeah I knew it would be whatever and then when they came on and corrected it the amount of joy that I took in it my friends have criticised me a lot for how happy I was because I was like, that is the best thing that could have happened is that not only did you not win, you thought you'd won and you got up there <laughs> in front of everyone and then you discovered you didn't win with that piece of shit film and like really just really delighted about it and then the best people did win and they came up and like Damien Chazelle scuffling off looking all gutted about it. It's like, of course he is. He's like he's probably been, you know, he lives and breathes cinema and he's just 41 best picture and he hasn't. <laughs> a bit, bit of empty for him but and, it, and I'd loved Whiplash so there's a guy who like the year before or whatever yeah. I've, I've been like this guy's brilliant I, I love this film and then uh, turned on him so quickly totally unreasonably turned on him absolutely he's done the one about going to the moon hasn't he yeah I've not watched that yet I, I went to NASA once and absolutely loved going, doing the guided tour of NASA in Florida Houston Oh, in Texas, right, okay. So, yeah, I went, went there. So all the Apollo 13 stories and stuff there and that kind of stuff. Also discovered that my nephew looked like Neil Armstrong. That really made me laugh because I didn't know. <laughs> it wasn't really that familiar with what Neil Armstrong looked like. There's this picture of him just looked exactly like my five-year-old nephew or whatever. So I was really... Does, your, was a, does your nephew just wear a spacesuit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an astronaut. He's doing well, saying quotes and getting them slightly wrong. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I, 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 we went to, it's me and my girlfriend at the time, and we, we only had one day in Houston, and we just went to the Space Centre all day and then went back to the Airbnb and rented Apollo 13 on iTunes and watched it because yeah, she hadn't seen it before. And I was like, I think that's one of the most rewatchable films for me. Apollo 13? Yeah. Like, me, me and Nish... Uh, Kumar, friend of yeah. the show, were talking about films that aren't necessarily your favourite films, but are the ones that you would always be in the mood to watch it. If someone just said, do you want to watch... So if someone says to me, do you want to watch Apollo 13? Normally, I do want to watch Apollo 13. And same with, like, The Dark Knight, or a lot of Christopher Nolan films. Actually. He's got a good hit rate for films that I'd happily watch whenever. Last night, it's weird you say it, I was yeah. watching Interstellar. Right, yeah, yeah. And I do like that film. Yeah. Holy shit, Matthew McConaughey, when he's watching those videos of his daughter growing up. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, and he's losing his mind. He does well. That was during the McConaissance. That's right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love science fiction, though. I tried to write a sci-fi film when I was 17 and had never written anything before. I didn't know how you write films or anything. I just wanted to write my own sci-fi film. And it was this thing where there was a cat who could communicate telepathically with a post box. So there's this cat and this one post box. This is strong pitch already. Yeah, and they could talk to each other telepathically. <laughs> but also the cat could see gravity as in the force, but as a person, like personified. So it was this character that was 
the force of so it's, I think he was painted silver with like a top hat on, and only the cat could see him in the whole world. And that and the, each force apparently is told you're allowed to reveal yourself to one being in all of time, and he'd chosen that cat. And there's no reason behind that as well. So the cat's got a friend that he can see and no one else can see, and a friend he can hear and no one else can hear, and they can't hear or see each other. And so they, they were squabbling, and the cat was like this middleman. <laughs> and then the main story... So that wasn't even the main story. The main story was this guy who wanted to become a tiger. And so his girlfriend was trying to help him achieve that, and they'd found this underground doctor who said they could, he could do the operation and just change him into a tiger. To transition into a tiger? Yes. But actually, what he, what he did was just... He did a placebo kind of... So the guy thought he was a tiger, and he's not. This is good to go for Michel Gondry... Michelle Gondry would love it, right? To direct, I think. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. None of it made any sense at all. Yeah. It was really, really long, like hundreds of pages. Like it just went on and on and on for ages because I kind of like had way too many stories that I... And I tried to tell every little bit of the story. So it's like if someone was going to, you know, go from one house to the other, I couldn't just be like cut to the next scene and they're in another house. I had to show the entire journey because I was like, well, you know... Well, they're going to the house now. That's the next thing that's going to happen. So it's literally like a little kid telling you a story and saying, and then, and then, and then all the time. So it was every little detail of it. And I'd be like, oh, and now he's got to go and confront that doctor, I guess, because he's discovered he's not a tiger. So he better get back to the doctors and do that. And, and so, oh, I was just writing. So there's just so much in the whole thing. And I, I didn't let anyone read it because um, I think I knew it was rubbish secretly. And uh, I found one, I Googled, you know, production companies online and just sent the whole thing to this one production company who I imagine opened it, looked at the first page, threw it in the bin. <laughs> if they even looked at the first page, which they probably didn't because I reckon the front page that said the name of it on it also was not formatted correctly and how things are supposed to be done. <laughs> so they probably saw that and went, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not reading this. Wow, that is amazing. And you were 17. I was 17. I didn't know what I was doing. I just did that. And, Have um, you written another script since then? I've written scripts since I've like, yeah, like learned how to write scripts. and to... But you haven't written a whole movie? No, no. It's the next thing I want to do because... I mean, let's I'll be clear as well. When I've written scripts for other things like sitcoms and stuff, they haven't been made. I've got one pilot made, but that's it. But like, if it's a project I really like, I just really enjoy writing it. And then if it doesn't get made, it's a shame, but I'm really happy that I did it and I feel like I've learned stuff or whatever. So I think, yeah, I'm just excited about a film idea at the moment. It's not that same one, but... <laughs> I might write that film. Uh, there's a lot of... I mean, there's several films within that film. Yeah, there's two, that, that was one of the problems. One of the many problems was that I wrote five films and put them all in this one film. But yeah, there's a film that I want to write at the moment, and I think I'll start that next after this book. And uh, yeah, and and it most likely will not get made, but I definitely want to write it and feel like it'd be fun to write it. So, fucking hell, that is really impressive that you're able to focus to that degree and get those things done, whether they get made or not. If you don't like the idea, you don't do it. You don't finish it. And you don't focus, and it's hard. But if it's an idea I like, then the hardest bit is just getting yourself to sit down and start. But as soon as you start, because you like the idea, it's really funny. You go, oh, I should, I should have sat down earlier today. Why have I been putting this off for two hours? So that's actually really fun. Yeah, so those projects actually don't even like take that long because like, you're redrafting it over. I, I love redrafting. I hate the first draft. It takes so long. And you're trying to get everything in a row and figure out how, what it is. But redrafting is so much like just ch- tweaking it and changing little bits and polishing it. Is really fun. And do you do that with your stand-up? 
Yeah, yeah. Kind of stand up is like you go out and do a. I, I don't write anything down, so I just go and do the gigs and kind of. Do you never write it down? No. Well, I'll write down like little keywords to remind myself. Or you've now got a routine about whatever batteries or whatever, and so you write that down or write down a key phrase that you don't want to forget that you know, got a laugh on the night. You're, okay, or always say it like that. But if I write down what I think is funny. And then go on and try and do it. I just sound like I'm reading it off of a page. It sounds a bit, you know, rehearsed and wooden. And I find the best thing is like I want to communicate the idea with the people in the you know in the room and get the actual thing across to them. Because the thing with me is that I don't have you know like I I've never done a whole set of going up without AV, mm-hmm. um, but I always would want to. I'd always like to. Yeah, it would be great just from a practical point of view to be able sure. to turn up with no gear to plug yeah. in and no tech guys to tell me that I've got the wrong dongle or whatever. That's a good 2016 album. AV. Oh, yeah? By Surface to Air Missive. Whoa. Recorder prog rock album. And you just found that trawling through yeah. albums of 2016. That was just a, a musician doing an interview and she was asked, what are your favourite albums of 2016? And she went, oh... She said her favourites, and then she said, oh, and some of my friends have made these albums. Yeah. And here's one of the ones, like, this guy's just my friend. And it's one of my favourites. So good. What's it called again? It's called AV. It's by Surface to Air Missive. And it's this guy, he plays all the instruments, and he's in, but it's a lot of recorder. But don't let that put you off. It's not a twee whole, like, he really... He does London's Burning, right? Makes it, well, yeah, he does London's Burning over and over. 12 tracks of London's Burning. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> that sounds good. I'm going to investigate. Presence. I'm always giving presents. I'm like an old year Santa. Check out the gift. Get your nice little list. Presents, 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 presents. I know it's not your birthday, but I got you a present because I like you. If you don't like it, you can just re-gift it. I'm giving presents in the office and presents on the bus. Some people find it creepy, but I'm just generous. You don't have to reciprocate, that's not what it's about. I don't have no agenda, I just like presents. I got you some gifts. Oh, wow. I was staying at a hotel last night. Yes. I've got you all the toiletries. <laughs> How did I not spot them behind the laptop? They've been on the table the whole time. This is good. I mean, this is the kind of stuff. So every time I go home to Kettering and see my parents, their bathroom's full of this. My dad stays in a lot of hotels and always takes all of the stuff. Yeah. And there's now a fairy liquid bottle next to the shower that is full of hotel shampoo that he's dispensed into this big bottle of fairy liquid. Perfect. And now that's how he, that's how he takes care of business. So describe what you've got so there. I've got here a dental kit, which I, I mean, I'll open this one to see how good it is. That's quite a nice touch, is that the toothbrush has a little cap on it so the, the bristles aren't fully exposed. Oh, yeah. So you can remove that. Sanitary cap. Plus, yeah. it's so much plastic, though. That can't be good, can it's it? a lot of plastic here. Oh. The tube, though, is longer and thinner than usual and that's nice <laughs> i appreciate you indulging this section <laughs> you don't have to don't describe really the rest of the toiletries it's quite a nice hotel was, know, it is quite a nice hotel i was doing a gig and they got me a room all i care about in every hotel is that they got good strength wi-fi yep and good strength shower yep so that's it i want a strong shower and strong wi-fi and the rest of it could be outdoors for all i care i don't i don't care as long as like I have a good shower and good Wi-Fi. That's all I want. It's all anyone wants. This this room I stayed in last night, the Wi-Fi was 
off the charts. Right. Great. Pulling down 10 meg, Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Is that normal in London? I guess it might be now. I don't know. Is it, was it, is it a strong... Is it good or bad? Fantastic. Yeah, you loved it. So, for example, <laughs> if you were downloading a movie online, the movie was 3 gig or whatever, you know, if you try and download a movie from... And uh, some streaming service, you want to keep it on your uh, laptop. Yeah. And the thing is three gig. It would download that in 10 minutes. No way. Yeah. What, was, were you, what were you downloading? Everything I could. It was just a Anything total RAM rate. Yeah, because that where we are. A RAM rate. Just... <laughs> it's like, give me that. Yeah, I'll have that. I'll have that. Yeah, I was yeah. doing all my downloading. Update everything. Update all my apps. Yeah. Just every single thing that I needed Wi-Fi for. I was like, right, here we go. This is my chance. I imagine you've got a lot of apps. I got so many. Big app guy. You got a favourite app? Uh, favourite app. I got. A, I, I know got I'm a... not supposed to be the one asking the questions, but like... no, no, no. I got a good app the other day, which I sometimes show to people. Yeah. <laughs> um, Skyview Light. It is. I'm going to open it right now because it's got nice music that comes with it as well. It is a stargazing app. Ah. Upgrade now. Fuck you. I mean, it's just never-ending, the upgrade situation. Yeah. I'll upgrade and it'll it'll be such a relief that the little app store says, oh, you know, you've got 56 upgrades pending. Yeah. And then you get them all out of the way. They're all done. It's all... (sighs) (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) I'm at one with the world. And then within a week, it's like 16. Yeah. 16 apps you need to upgrade. It's never, it's, it will never, ever, ever end. Where's the music? Oh, maybe I turned the music off. Hang on. Yes, I'll rate it. No, remind me later. Oh, stuff like that when it tricks you into that. You can only do this bit if you recommend it to a friend or if you rate it. Also, rating stuff. I've never given an Uber driver anything less than five stars. No, exactly. Why would you? Yeah. I mean, unless you got into a physical altercation. Yeah, unless they're like so horrendous and then you're like, you would make a complaint rather than just star them but like I think the people that I really I will never understand is anyone who gives an Uber driver four stars (laughs) I will never understand them because you're taking yourself too seriously as like a critic at that point you lose a star because actually there was this moment where you you know who cares (laughs) why why would you turn into a proper critic and be like okay it was good if if something's four star good if you you get a, a journey in an Uber which you would give four stars to, then it's five stars. It's, no, it's nothing. People you're, love if you're being... seriously knocking off a point, especially when you know that it um, contributes to that person's job. Like, you know, I always think I could get them fired or something, you know? Yeah. So I always give them five stars. I'm not going to be able to turn the music on here, but just imagine kind of nice kind of ambient music bubbling yeah. away as soon as you open the app normally. But obviously I turned it off for some reason. I can't turn it back on again. But you hold it up to the sky oh. and it corresponds to the stars that are in the sky there and it shows you what constellations you're looking at maps Great. them all out for you you can pan around and you can see where the planets are like if you dip below oh, the nice. horizon it'll show you the planets that are below the horizon at that point and you can see the international space station and moving wow. across and it's so great. That is cool, actually. You can spend ages. Skyview, it's called. The other stargazing apps are available. Um, here's another present for you. Have you seen this? Colossal. Oh, 
I haven't seen it, but I'd like to see it. It's really good. I thought it was good. Thank you so it, much. It, yeah, I, I like the concept of it. The concept's almost a bit like my uh, my film. Well, it's such a <laughs> massive high concept so, yeah. idea, mm. i.e. that a person realises that she is linked to a giant dinosaur creature that is destroying Tokyo. And every time she gets drunk, this creature appears halfway across the world and lays waste to cities and kills thousands of people. I'm Um, on board. And somehow they make it work. Anne Hathaway plays the person who's... and and, Because obviously it's quite serious because she's struggling with a drink problem that she has to come to terms with. Right. So it's a really tricky tonal balancing act that they're going for because it's got comedic elements. Yeah. And sci-fi, mm-hmm. fantasy elements, and then real drama. And I thought it worked. I'm Quite looking good. forward to uh, I, I Also, Anne Hathaway is one of my favourite Oscar speeches. Oh, okay. <laughs> in that it's so bad. I really love watching Oscar speeches. And her one is that she gets the Oscar and she kind of cradles it and looks at it and goes, it came true. <laughs> it's so, you just feel everyone in the audience being like, oh, fuck you. Don't say that. This is perfect. My favourite one is uh, Anna Paquin wins for when she's a really little kid for the piano. Yeah. And it's just so... I, mean, I think I've like... I always... I know that I've over-exaggerated it in my head. But, you know, she's like still in primary school, wins an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. As she, so she's like... This huge smile, hyperventilating, her eyes like popping out of her head, she can't believe it. And she just stands in front of them all, and she just kind of looks at them, just breathing really heavily, looking around at the room with this huge smile, everyone's laughing because it's like, it must be so weird. And then it's like someone flips a switch in the back of her head, and the smile goes, and she goes, I'd like to thank my management. And she just, just does the whole speech, just racks off who she's got to thank, and then she just walks off like an android. And it's, <laughs> it's one of my favourite things, it's this like really hyperactive girl just going, yeah, and I'd like to thank my management and my parents, and thank you to Bendy for looking after me, goodbye. And then walks off, it's so great. I've shown it to so many people. <laughs> obsessed with it i'll put that in the description of the podcast too yeah watch anna paquin and it's like yeah i always i know i've over exaggerated it every time i describe it to people but it's still it's still a really funny weird thing to watch a child have that happen to them at that point in their life have you seen jerry seinfeld doing a kind of deconstruction of yeah. all ceremonies that comics should be the people at the back making fun of it that's right yeah yeah, yeah. Jay Seinfeld's one of those people who, like, kind of, I think as a comedian, you end up watching loads of his stuff, not just his stand up, but also his interviews and just what he thinks about stuff, because he's seen as being a, like, a kind of a headmaster kind of figure to a mm. lot of comics. And more and more, I'm just like, I don't, because I'm, you know, I'm not even like a massive fan of his, and I'm not sure I trust how confident he is. So sometimes it, when he talks about stuff, he's just so sure that he's right. Yeah. And you're going, how have you become a comedian with this attitude? Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's so sure of yourself, and you just, you just, you're looking at people who don't do it your way, and you're like, why would you even do that? That's ridiculous. And, and you're like, why are you telling that person? <laughs> like, how can you be so certain that you're right? Yeah. I think that that's what powers a lot of his comedy, though, is he, it's like a magic trick or a hypnotism trick that he just forces his way of looking at the world on mm. the audience, and they go, okay. Yeah, and, and they so go like... along with it. That's not to take away from the brilliance of what he does sometimes, but no, not... I do agree with you that sometimes you, you you watch how sure he is about stuff, and you just think, 
no, no, no. It's mainly when he's in interviews, and lately he's been saying a lot of wrong-headed stuff that he's definitely wrong about, and he doesn't see. But like, uh, there's other stuff where it's like a bit of compassion. He's got he's got a real kind of Tory streak in him. Yeah, <laughs> like looking at people, like, well, just sort it out. What's your problem? Yeah, but um, <laughs> he, uh, he, I, I had an interview with him on Alec Baldwin's podcast, um, where he said that he wakes up every morning and the first thing he does is he splashes cold water in his face and he says he does a certain amount of splashes and he aims right between the eyes and splashes himself with cold water because he had seen Paul Newman do it in a film and he was like right I'm going to start doing that and he started doing it he does it all the time and so then I started doing it because <laughs> he had said it and then I told the comedian Ellis James about it and Ellis James starts, started doing it and Ellis says every time he splashes himself in the face with cold water he thinks about the fact that I splash my face with cold water because Jerry Seinfeld splashes his face with cold water because Paul Newman splashes his face with cold water. So it's like this kind of thing that goes back and he thinks of all of us in this chain of cold water And now water I'm going to do it as well. And yeah. I bet people listening to this will. It's, it feels great. It's yeah. a very good way to start the day. You're just, right, I'm here now. It's like you're just hard turning, you know, just, just switching the machine on. Right, yeah. I'm awake. It's okay. good. Okay. Um, and I mean, the reason, the reason... this is the first time we've proper, properly met, and you've bought me some the perfect gifts for me. This is amazing. When I knew that I was going to talk to you, I mean, I'd all I wanted to talk to you because I, I've been really enjoying your stuff over the years, and I absolutely loved those Netflix specials. And I thought they worked; they appealed to me in a kind of art school way because the, the, they were, it was a coherent statement. These four specials, you released them all on the same day. I liked the visual look. I liked that you thought oh, about you. the way you, what you wore, and but but none of it was didactic, and it wasn't superior. It was still just about making people laugh. It was just very much. I really responded to it. Oh, um, thank you so much. Uh, very much. You know, I really liked it. It's, it's, and, and it's fun when you when you connect with something that's um, not totally mainstream, but you, but it just really engages you in that way. So I really enjoyed it, and then. Oh yeah, you had a thing about sulking, which which I really responded to. <laughs> oh yeah, as a bit of a sulker myself, yeah. someone that does like struggle that. not to sulk. Yes. Um, what was your bit? It feels great. And for, for a long time, I was trying to kind of like do this routine about how sulking feels great, and um, it never kind of like it never worked like I wanted it to. It would really connect with certain people and others not. But like, it's just saying that you know. Sulk has got such a bad rep, but it feels amazing. And <laughs> you don't want to be pulled out of a sulk when you're in a sulk. I don't know what chemical your brain releases when you have a sulk, but if they sold that chemical, I'd rub it on my gums all <laughs> the live long day. Um, but uh, it just does. It, I, I tried to make it a much longer thing. I couldn't do it. But like, there's, I definitely relate to it too much. That I it's sometimes a- you're in a sulk, you don't want anyone to cheer you up. No. You hear them kind of coming up the stairs and you know they're coming to cheer you up and you're like, don't, just don't even dare, they go, fuck off. Uh, and then, but then sometimes you hear them come up the stairs and then you hear them just delay on the landing and then go back downstairs and you're like, no one gives a shit about me. <laughs> like, what is this? And then you're, it's like the turbo sulk at that point, you just turn it up to maximum and, you're, and then you're really buried deep. It's like levels of inception in the, <laughs> like you've got a few levels to get me out of now, the sulk, because I'm, Really buried now. Um, yeah. It, it's, Are you still like that? No, no. I Well, I hope not. Maybe 
some ex-girlfriends will listen to this and be like, yeah, you are. But uh, <laughs> I, I like to think I'm not. You've got to be careful in a relationship with that, don't you? Because it is, as you say, it's so seductive. It feels so great. Yeah. But actually, you know that you've got to get out of it. It's a bit like, have you ever seen Star Trek Generations? Yeah, I think so. When Picard meets Kirk. Right. And they oh, get yes. sucked into the Nexus. Right. <laughs> I can't remember, remember the Nexus? that bit, no. I can't remember that bit, sorry. It's all about the Nexus. <laughs> the Nexus is this kind of weird space-time anomaly ribbon that's floating through the galaxy. Okay. And it kind of sucks people in. And there's a bad guy who wants to go back to the Nexus. Because if you go into the Nexus, then it's like you've been transported to your happy place. Right. Uh, your favourite moment in your life or, yeah. or an ideal of what you would like your life to be. Yeah, yeah. And you live there... Captain Kirk's one is a kind of... It's like Centre Parks. He, it's like a house in the in the woods and yeah. he's chopping wood. And um, his wife's upstairs and he's making eggs and he's out and living in the country. And yeah, yeah. that's his nexus place. But it's not real. And it might feel good to be there. Yeah. But actually, in the long term, it's going to do more harm than good. Right, yeah. And so yeah, that's, yeah, the way, yeah. that's the way I think of sulking. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly how I sulk, especially in a relationship. And like, I, I, In relationships, I find myself so often doing stuff that I know, I, I say to myself, in my, in my head, I'm going, no, don't do this, like, stop. I, I can be really critical in a relationship, both of myself and of whoever I'm with. And it's, I hate it. And I, I, I absolutely hate how much I can just, like, and I have to stop myself from doing it, especially out loud. When I, when I, even if I don't get picked up on it by the person, but I'm like, no, we both know that I keep on returning to this thing every time she does, you know, whatever it is. Just stuff that annoys you. Yeah, so just things that I'm like, so like my last girlfriend, one of those people who would, while we're going shopping, she would like eat while while shopping. So yeah, well, she'd love to buy like a box of granola. And she'd open it and just walk around doing the shopping, but also she'd have this granola to eat. And who cares? It doesn't, it's fine. She'll pay for it at the end. It doesn't make any difference to anything. And the amount that it would get my back up and that I. <laughs> so the first time I think I made, I was, I, I, the first time she did it, I was like, oh, you're one of, oh, you're, you're one of those people who, does, who, who eats, the, eats something while they're walking around. Because I guess, I guess they can't touch you, right? I guess, like, yeah, you're above all that, and they can't touch you. You can just do what you want in the in the in the supermarket. And then, like, yeah, the second time she did it, I was like, oh yeah, I, f- I forgot you do that, like, like <laughs> out, out loud. And then the third time, I didn't say anything, but she was like, I can tell you absolutely hated this. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. It's silly, so silly. Not even cared in the first place. But try to try to be okay with it. We go. Oh, it's really hard to be okay with this. But do you think it offends your sense of order or something? Or no, I I think I've got like some real kind of uh, things. I think the reason why my stand up is the way it is is because I genuinely take much bigger issue with little things like anything that's small, and yet to me it represents so much more. So someone who goes to the supermarket and does their shopping while eating the food before they've paid for it. It gets to me because to me it's like, right, like technically right now you're stealing. But you know that you're not really, but you know that it's going to annoy the staff. Let's say like staff will see you, but you you know like you can't do anything about this. And you're just doing whatever you like. 
and you can't do whatever you like. That's not life. So like that kind of thing. Like, <laughs> like so it probably is again what's like the, the Christian boy in me just being like, yeah, here I am playing by the rules. This. Meanwhile, you're just yeah. shoving granola that you haven't paid for into your mouth. Yeah, and like, uh, so why are you doing that? Breaking off the end of a baguette and having a little oh, snack on that, dipping it in some hummus. But like, <laughs> I, I, I tried to like. I remember the last time we were the last time we were in a supermarket together, and she was doing something like that. Last time before she got rid of you for before she, before she rightfully broke up with me. We were walking along, and uh, I was by that point trying to make a joke about it. So she, cause she was like, I, "I know this is winding you up." I was like, "No, no, no it's fine." And then we went past one of the employees, so I was like, "You seen this? See what she's doing? <laughs> she's just walking around eating the granola. What do you think about that?" And he, and he was like. Yeah, it's fine. I don't. I don't really mind. So, look, mate, I'll I'll stand by you if you want to complain to your boss about this. If you want to, if you want to report this, I'll happily sign whatever you need me to sign to say that I disapprove of this as well. I'm like, you know, try to have a have a have a laugh of it at least. Yeah, you're like, well, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna have this in me, and the next day the relationship. Ends. Yeah, then, then that was it. Now she's with that guy. She's with the supermarket guy. They're very happy. <laughs> Wait, this is an advert for Squarespace. I took one look at that website, and I knew that the woman I have been living with is not my wife. I'd never been any good with computers, so when I showed the website that I had built to sell my paintings to Tom, he just refused to believe that I had made it. And he started telling people that the government had taken his wife and replaced her with an AI. But Debbie had made the website herself. After hearing an advert on a podcast, she had visited squarespace.com slash Buxton and done a free trial. They had all these professional-looking templates there, so I chose one I liked, and I started typing into it. And then I dragged in some pictures, I uploaded a video, before I knew it, I had a website. I've seen The Matrix. I know that you need big green numbers and a long leather coat to build a website. It's just not that easy. But it was that easy. And when Debbie decided she wanted to purchase her new website, she remembered the offer code from the podcast. I typed in Buxton and I saved 10%. I was jumping up and down and shouting in your face at Tom. And it was around then that he started with the conspiracy theory. Why don't you go to squarespace.com slash Buxton, Tom? And you could see how easy it is to build your own website. Because that's exactly what they want me to do. Continue. Apricots. How you doing, listeners? That was James Acaster there. First time I'd met James, and I hope not the last. As I said, you will find some links to some of the music we talked about and some of the clips we talked about in the description of this podcast. Don't forget, as well, that that bonus episode of Chat with James, about half an hour's worth of uh, extra conversation with James, is available on the Adam Buxton app right now in the bonus audio section. All right. Rosie. Rosie, come on. Where are you? Where is she? Right, I'm going to head back. Rosie has buggered off somewhere, which she's been doing quite a lot recently. She just goes wandering off and then comes back when she feels like it. 
um, which is a bit distraughting sometimes, you know, you don't want her to go and start hanging out with uh, creepy animals who might be a bad influence on her. I'm sure she'll be okay. Anyway, before I go today, I saw a couple of films recently that you might be interested in. One of them is called Avengers Endgame. It's very good, very exciting. It's got famous people in and uh, special effects and punching and kicking, shooting and shouting and, uh, and special powers. Hope that hasn't spoiled it for anyone. Actually, in all sincerity, I enjoyed it. Me and my daughter went to see it. You know, it's three hours. It's, in fact, it's over three hours. Three hours, one minute. And I was expecting to be in uh, physical and mental pain. But actually, it was okay. It wasn't too bad. Back in my day, if you had a film that was three hours long, you got an interval. Wander around, stretch your legs, get some food, do some washing, catch up on some admin, and then pop back in for part two of whatever epic you were watching. Gandhi. Gandhi, I think, was the last film I went to see that had an interval. Oh, here's Rosie. She's back, and it's a fly past. Quite a slow fly past. Oh, that's good. It's a relief. I don't like it when she goes off. But she always comes back. Anyway, the other film I saw this week was Eighth Grade. There's a good chance you may have uh, heard of it. I think it's getting a lot of good uh, reviews and a lot of good buzz. It is an American comedy drama written and directed by Bo Burnham. My sons like Bo Burnham. They knew all about him from YouTube. I wasn't really familiar with his stuff. He's a sort of comedian, musical comedy guy who has... uh, Well, this is his first film that he's written and directed. A coming-of-age story that follows the life and struggles of an eighth grader, i.e. a 14-year-old in America um, named Kayla played by Elsie Fisher, who I think won a Golden Globe for her performance. And it takes place during her last week of classes before graduating to high school. She struggles with social anxiety but produces vlogs giving advice. And so she is really brilliant, Elsie Fisher. But it is very well done, the whole thing. And I wished, well, I guess I shouldn't say anything that will spoil it for you. I found it quite hard to watch some of it because I was thinking a lot of the time, "Uh uh-oh, this is going to go dark. And uh, I was thinking, oh, I don't want anything too horrendous to happen to Kayla. But it's not really that kind of film. It's very sweet-natured despite having a few bits that are um, definitely painful and cringe-inducing because it really brilliantly recreates the discomfort and the anxiety of being 
that age and feeling as if you don't quite fit into a social scene and you're struggling with all sorts of difficult feelings and thoughts and worries but wow it's very well done and there's so many moments in it as well that feel like a uh, a very accurate snapshot of where things are at now in the modern world in 2019 although that may be because I'm a 50 year old guy and you could tell me pretty much anything about what life is like for teenagers in America in 2019 and I would believe you because I don't know what it's like at all nevertheless it's a very good film I thought okay that's it for this week thanks to Seamus Murphy Mitchell for his production support on this episode thank you very much Matt Lamont for your edit whiz bottery and uh, thanks to Acast for hosting this and other terrific podcasts check them out back with another podcast next week until then I'm begging you, take care. I love you. Bye!